Welcome to the FI Podcast, the place where we speak about all things accounting. I'm Dave Malthouse. And I'm Ben Bournemouth. From balancing the books to finding a balance in your life, we've got it all covered. So whether you're here for accounting insights, career advice, or looking after yourself while preparing for your exams, you're in the right place. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please leave us a rating and review. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Podcast. I'm Ben Bullman, and I'm joined again this evening by my good friend and colleague, David Malthouse. Hi, Dave. Hi there, Ben. How's this week been for you? I had a really great day on Monday. Sadly, you couldn't make it, my friend. I went up on stage and said you are lumbered with maybe the not best looking duo from the FI podcast, but you're <laughs> Your dear wife, Kelly, was in the crowd and she she smirked at that comment. Um, we had our tutor and skills coach catch-up day, which is great because it's when my team and Dave's team get together. Dave's team do a great job. They book us a conference centre just outside Stansted Airport. And I went on a whole day of talks. We talked about sustainability. We talked about AI. I did a bit on mental health and well-being. And it was Blue Monday. Blue Monday is something that people talk about. It's meant to be the most depressing day of the year, the third Monday of January. And what a great way to get over those January blues than being with like-minded colleagues and friends talking about how we can develop programs and help our students further. Yeah, I was unfortunate I couldn't make it. I, I have a daughter that had her tonsils removed this time last week and um, she's still suffering um a, a weekend hopefully she's going to start feeling better soon but um i had to stay at home and make sure that she was okay the childcare that we had arranged got a cold and wasn't allowed to mix with the child that had a a, a a tonsil wound in the back of their throat so unfortunately i couldn't come but i will be there next year and it is one of the highlights of my year i, I love being there seeing all the tutors getting together from all the different centers and finding out what what everyone's been up to you were missed and you were mentioned, so you were there in spirit, and I'm sure Kelly has filled you in on everything that we covered. Regular listeners will know me and Dave are, as well as accountancy tutor mad, we are also sports mad. A few things going on this week. We've had the, the NFL, the American football playoffs, but I wanted to talk about something else. We are now in the midst of the African Nations Cup, the AFCON football tournament. Dave, have you been getting involved in anything to do with African Cup of Nations football? Um, I haven't seen any of the games because I've been looking after a sick daughter for the last week. But I, I am aware it's going been going on because of my fantasy football team, where I had to have play my wild card to remove about five players that were either playing in the African Nations Cup or playing in the Asia Cup. So um, I'm aware of the the competitions that are going on. Have you seen any, Ben? This is something I, I love the African Nations Cup. I got into it a number of years ago. They hold it in January. I think they were looking to move it and I think they did want to move it and it's gone back to January, which I'm pleased about because nothing warms you up more than watching the vibrant colours and the football that you see on the telly at the AFCON. It's in the Ivory Coast this year, but people who have listened to previous episodes will know we have got Blessing, one of our tutor team in Cambridge, one of my centres, 
who is from Nigeria. And so a load of us in the office have all really got on the back of Nigeria to the point where I've even bought a Nigerian football team hoodie and two shirts for my daughters. And we're getting together tomorrow night to watch a game, all of us together as the FI team, because Nigeria are taking on the host, the Ivory Coast, and it's a, a five o'clock kickoff. So the time's fitting brilliantly with work because we can stay after work and watch the football. I think it was the World Cup before last, wasn't it, when Nigeria had the kit of the se- kit of the tournament? They have had some phenomenal kits. If if you don't like football, but you like fashion, and I say fashion in the loosest possible sense, go and check out some images of Nigeria national football kits over the last 20 years. They've had some classic kits. I remember buying one. This is my first holiday without my parents. A group of my friends, we went off to Crete. And I remember buying a Nigeria football shirt. This would have been 1998 from Gatwick Airport and I looked for it the other night and my dear wife has chucked it out she tends to do this from time to time has a bit of a clear out of my my closet excellent I I went through a phase when I was probably about the same sort of age as whenever I went on holiday I would seek out um, football tops for clubs that were based in that country so I I had an array of different French club shirts Spanish club shirts had a really cool I think it was AEK Athens shirt that had, um, I don't know who the player was and I couldn't pronounce their name because there were several letters that were not in our alphabet that were on the back of the shirt, but I just thought that was awesome. I wish I could say I was as cool as that. I I do it these days probably more because they're the ones that are always heavily discounted at the (laughs) sports retailers. So I, I must confess I've got an Olympiacos shirt somewhere. I've got a Hellas Verona shirt just because they were so much cheaper than buying a, a Premier League football shirt. The accountant in me coming through as always. And we've got a guest this evening, everybody. So I'm going to introduce her now. Um, Hannah McDonald. Good evening, Hannah. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Great to be here. No problem. We always start when we've got a guest, finding out a bit about them. Dave coined this one on our first ever episode with a guest, and we've rolled with it ever since. But we we talk about the backstory. Dave usually aligns it to a Marvel superhero film. Usually at the start of a Marvel superhero film, the first 20 minutes of the film is actually getting to how they got to the point of getting their, their superpower. So, so Hannah, first part to you on your backstory. How did you get into the world of accountancy to start with? Well, I came to accountancy quite late. So I worked at the BBC for about four years and then I had a dramatic change into accountancy. I was working in a kind of legal and business role and I realised I was sort of in a dead-end job because I wasn't a lawyer and I thought, do I become a lawyer or... I realised I kind of preferred the more business side of the role. So I started looking at business qualifications and I thought accountancy is one of the best kind of business qualifications you can have. So yeah, so at 27, I joined a graduate scheme at one of one of the big kind of firms. Wow. So that is quite a shift from the BBC, mm. which is quite a, a, well, it's the premier brand, isn't it? If you're going to be in the media industry to the world of world of finance what what made you apply accountancy let's be honest 
hasn't got the best reputation. I think we do our best to try and challenge that, but it, it can be seen as quite dull and quite grey. Leaving the BBC to go into that, what was what was the main thing that you thought that is the the skill that aligns with me? I think I realised that many business leaders are accountants. Um, so I thought, you know, you learn so much about the finances of a company, strategy, management, you know, it's not just accounts, um, although that is really important. So I never think I went into it thinking I'm going to be an accountant and that will be my job. I think I thought I can do so many things with this. There are so many careers that can come out of accountancy. And yeah, I ended up being an internal auditor and then becoming a people consultant. Fantastic. Dave, I might bring you in there because I would sure you've seen loads of accountancy students you've taught that are technically no longer accountants or call themselves accountants. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a good friend of ours, Ben, Mr. Jamie Oxen, trained as an accountant, actually did our job for a number of years and nowadays works very much in a sales environment. So he's taken his accountancy skills and it's found him in a completely different world. But it is those accountancy skills, the business skills, understanding how different businesses operate, how different markets operate, about how businesses are structured that's helped him to actually pave his career in that direction. So yeah, we do see that quite a lot. And there's a number of people that I speak to that say, I you know, I, I wouldn't have got to where I get to without the accountancy qualification, although I don't really do any accounting. In fact, I was with one of our former students who I, I think I taught about 18 years ago. He's one of the first students that I taught. And he now runs a group of companies involved in solar panels, installation, um, building solar farms, selling solar farms, doing crazy, crazy stuff with solar farms. And he does nothing to do with accountancy now. And he says that there's there's two things that kind of set him up for the journey that he's on. And he, he set up and owns and runs and manages these businesses himself. And he said that I grew up on a farm and that taught me that there were two four o'clocks in a day and you can work from one to the other, which I thought that's quite a lot of work maybe. But then he said his accountancy qualification is the thing that helped him to make really good decisions in the business that he's now really successfully running. So absolutely right. It gives you that foundation to do pretty much anything in the world of business. Something I've hear, heard Dave do with students who are looking to sign up or start accountancy study is almost talk them out of doing it and making sure that they can then justify why they want to do it and why they're going to do it. What were some of the things that potentially were putting you off in those early stages, Hannah? I presume you're coming at accountancy with zero knowledge from previous staff. I don't know what you did at school, whether you even did something like business studies. Yeah, so I did a history degree at university, so it couldn't be more different. And it was a bit of a shock, to be honest. I hadn't used a calculator since GCSE, and I was now 27. So, yeah, it it was like a different world. Um, and it was really challenging, and I failed some of the first exams, and that really hit me hard. Because we were sitting the exams in threes, and I think it was the second lot of three, I failed two out of the three, and I cried for 24 hours. I was just gutted. Because I think I didn't realise that it is relatively common to fail accountancy exams compared to, I guess, 
degrees and things like that. And so, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. I think there's two things there, Hannah. There's first of all that when you're doing your degree or your A-levels or your GCSEs, there's a range of marks that you can get. So I, I know with things like A-levels, it's it's something like about 22% or something like that and you get your first grade. And then if you get up to 30-odd percent, you get the next grade. So there's always a grade that you can get. So you might sit there and say, oh, I'm unhappy because I only got a D in my last exam, but it's still a pass. Whereas for ACCA, for ICW, for AAT exams, it's the pass marks much, much higher. And, you know, you could have got a mark that if it was an A-level would have got you a C, but now you're doing ICW exams, exactly the same mark in the exam now means that you failed. And it's quite harsh, that cutoff point. Something else he said that I absolutely love is that you did a history degree because I'm a firm believer that historians make amazing accountants. Um, and I think it's because a lot of people think, oh, you've got to be great at maths. The thing I love about historians is that historians are always thinking about why something's happened. So if your period of history is the American Civil War, then historians will say, oh, the American Civil War happened because of all of these things that led up to it. So they know the story. And if you use those skills when you look at a set of financial accounts, it's, oh, I can see there's a difference between the revenue this year and last year. My first instinct is to go back and find out why that's happened and what led to it. So I love historians. I think they come with a great skill set that sets them up to be amazing accountants. Oh, well, I absolutely love that. And I think it's a good message that, you know, you don't have to have a finance background, accountancy background or business background to become a chartered or certified accountant or uh, accounting technician. You know, you can come from any background at all. But you do have to pass exams to get the certificate. There's no alternate route, is there? Were you fully aware of the volume of the exams, the the gruelling nature of those exams when you signed up for it at the start? Um, I guess to an extent. Um, but it was more once I'd already joined and started <laughs> because then the trainees were sort of like, it's really tough. And, you know, they were sitting exams and some of them were failing. Um. So, yeah, uh, once I was into it, I started to realise this is tough and working full time and studying in evenings and weekends. And, you know, you, you're in a new role, so you're trying really hard at that role and, you know, to be a good employee, never mind the exams. So I, I did find it hard to kind of juggle both, for sure. That That's a really interesting dynamic and something I hear a lot from our students, not all of them, but most of them are doing their study alongside a job role. And particularly if that's a new job role, which you just alluded to, Hannah, there is an element of balance. And we quite often see it, Dave, don't we, that some students will actually, I don't want to say focus too much on the exams, but they will excel in the exams but maybe not give the best impression to their employer whilst they're doing their job. On the flip side, we've got some students that are doing a great job at work and are really valued members of their team, but are struggling with the exams. And it's it's balancing both of those, isn't it, Dave? Is, is that something you see a lot with students? Yes. And it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the majority of students, but you do tend to see both of those extremes where you have people that very much focus on their exams, passing their exams, and they feel that that's the single most important thing that they need to do to be successful in their careers. 
and sometimes that can be the, the, the sacrifice they're making over is maybe being as impactful as they should be in the workplace. And then you've got other people whose, again, belief is that I, I need to you know, work as hard as I can and be as impactful in the workplace as I possibly can be. And the exams are something that are kind of secondary to doing that. Um, most people are, are kind of happily in the middle where they're, you know, they're working well, they're learning in the workplace, they're developing into valuable employees, and they're also successful in their exams, and they find that balance between the two. But sometimes, and, and this is usually when we work with employee employers, you know, we will sometimes have to speak to trainees and you know, explain to them that they, they probably need to focus more on the other area than they currently are doing. Sometimes it's needs to focus more on the workplace, and not be a perfectionist in the exams. Sometimes it's the case that, well, maybe you shouldn't be clocking up all this overtime to show what an amazing, hardworking member of staff you are. We don't mind if you leave a bit earlier and get some time to actually focus on your studies. Yeah, um, and I think, I mean, my company was really good. They were aware we're doing exams and they try and make sure you were finishing at kind of 5.30 on the dot. And so they... They knew you needed the study time, which was really good. What were some of the specific challenges that you, you came across as you were doing those, particularly those earlier exams, maybe when you first started off, Hannah? Um, I think it was the volume of work that I found difficult. Um, you know, I felt like I was trying to learn a lot in quite a short space of time. And then obviously the exams themselves are just very time pressured. Um, but I actually was diagnosed with dyslexia just before my final ACA exam, which was kind of shocking, but also, you know, looking back, it kind of wasn't so shocking because I was working really, really hard, really long hours using all of manual leave to study and actually ended up, you know, passing all the, most of the exams first time and doing pretty well, but I knew I was working really, really hard. And so, yeah, that was a bit of a shocker towards the end. And it wasn't actually the exams that made me think I should go and get tested because I thought, you know, these are just accounts exams and they are hard. Um, it was a particular project at work where I just felt like I was struggling a little bit. And then I, I guess I knew I'd failed a few exams as well. And the two together made me think I should just get a test um, because it had been picked up a little bit at school as well. So I'd had some extra time for GCSEs, never at university. But because I was doing a history degree, we were doing our exams over kind of two and three days open book, which is great. They weren't time pressured. I didn't have to remember anything because all my books were there. So yeah, I think that's where it didn't really show up at university, but these exams, it did. When you mentioned it earlier, I was really interested interested to hear about what triggered you to actually go and get the formal diagnosis and get tested so thank you for sharing that I'm really interested to know how you then dealt with that with with work and the ICAW the awarding body for the exams did you feel you could openly talk about this first of all with with work with your colleagues did you go to your employer and explain the situation or did you shy away from that yeah, so I actually spoke to one of the leaders in our team and she was the one that said, why don't we pay for a test? So it was the firm that paid for the diagnosis. Um, and then, yeah, I told the ICAW, I got 25% 
extra time for my final exam, which was incredible. And it, it still meant that I was really tired because, you know, I was doing a five hour mock every time I was doing a mock. And, but yeah, it was great. And the firm paid for the assessment, which was brilliant. I think sometimes there's the perception that students feel like they are not cheating. That's the wrong word, but they are getting an easier route. What what would be your response to that? If someone's listening to this thinking the exams are hard and we know they're hard, but I am finding these incredibly hard. I would say if you're finding it really difficult and maybe look back at your schooling or university and just think, were there any kind of signs there? And just get tested because you never know. And extra time helps so much. As I said, you're still really tired because you're spending like a whole day doing a mock if, if it's your final exam and they're that long. But um, it's it's so worth it. And it, I've just learned a lot more about myself through the diagnosis. And I've had some coaching as well. And that has really helped just because what I realised is I was doing lots of kind of coping mechanisms. So people weren't really noticing on the outside that I had some sort of neurodiversity. But I was working a lot harder behind the scenes, I think, and I think at my own detriment. Dave, what's your experiences over your teaching career with regards to people actually going and getting a formal diagnosis and testing and the support they have then received from the likes of the AAT or the ICAW? Well, we, when we have students that do have some kind of, um, kind of certified requirement, the exam boards will offer extra time if they feel it's appropriate. Um, I've also had exam boards that have given people readers in the exam. So they will read the exam questions to you um, rather than you have to read them yourselves. Um, that normally means you have to do your exam in isolation because it's a bit off-putting to everyone else in the room if someone's reading your exam paper aloud to you. Um, it is possible to, um, for some exam bodies, and I know at First Intuition we do this, um, to provide students with um, exams to be taken in isolation. So sometimes to remove distractions and to remove kind of other people making noise, uh, particularly where people suffer from exam anxiety, being able to sit an exam on your own is something that can sometimes be really beneficial. Um, and kind of what I'd like, like to just kind of ask you though, is that I know from speaking to, to students, um, if students are kind of starting to their accounts, they're normally going to be kind of youngest 16, but any age from 16 to, you know, we've seen people in their 60s that are starting their accountancy exams. And they've always gone through their education, you know, learning things their way and, you know, fighting through exams the way that they do. And I think that for quite a lot of people, I'm, I mean, particularly for kind of like the, young men that I've spoken to they don't want to find out if there is any kind of issue because they think oh you know there's nothing wrong with me I'm fine and I, I don't want to go into that but what are the kind of things that would do you think be an indication that maybe you should be getting tested so you know what, what kind of things if you if you were saying that you know if x y or z 
you find happening on a regular basis or or cause you issues that might be something that that you would advise someone to maybe seek a test or, or or look at in further detail i think if you read questions wrong so you don't gather the meaning from a question so you're answering the question slightly wrong that's a sign mm-hmm. uh, i was putting numbers around the wrong way so i'd have the right answer in terms of numbers but i was literally typing the numbers in the wrong order that's not a good sign and um, what else I mean, the thing is, I would say there are so many different types of dyslexia. So mine manifests with working memory and reading and um, phonology, which I think is kind of the sounds in words and saying them slightly wrong sometimes or saying the same sound wrong all the time. Um, And so I think a lot of people think dyslexia, oh, you can't spell and you're going to be awful at writing. But I'm really good at writing. I love writing. I actually have a, a blog at the moment and um, my spelling is just average. It's just normal, yeah. uh, but it's the reading that's a bit of an issue and it's the working memory that's a real issue for me. So I think, I think you've got to kind of get those stereotypes out of your head when it comes to neurodiversity and just think if you're struggling with something, just get it checked out. I think it's going to lead on to something we were going to talk about next, but it sounds like Hannah, you got eventually the help, the support with that final exam. Congratulations, you did it. You got the qualification. Brilliant achievement. Well done. And it sounds like you were working with an employer that was very supportive. They even paid for you to have the diagnosis. And I know sometimes it's even the financial cost that prevents somebody actually going and getting formally diagnosed because we're not talking about insignificant sums of money. Have you got any thoughts for students that are maybe not working for an employer that is potentially on the face of it as supportive if you've got potentially thoughts of i don't really want to tell my employer i might be judged i might be feared any thoughts on that dynamic for other people that you've maybe spoken to since you've come out with your diagnosis yeah so under the access to work scheme the government has a pot of money to help people that are neurodiverse or have a disability or anything um and you don't have to have a formal diagnosis, which I had no idea about, but you actually don't. You know, if you're struggling in some way, your workplace should support you. Um, so you don't have to get the diagnosis. Yes, it is very expensive. So I can understand why people wouldn't want to go for it. Um, I don't know if there's kind of cheaper ways of getting that kind of diagnosis. I really don't know. But I just know that under the Access to Work scheme, you can get a lot of workplace help regardless of um, having that official yes you are adhd or dyslexic or whatever it is and just one final question on this angle if you'd have had the diagnosis earlier and got the extra support with the exams from the start how do you think your study journey would have been different i think i would have still found it challenging you know at the end of the day i'm learning a completely new topic and it's time pressured and you're learning a lot in a small space of time. But the extra time for the actual exams would have helped a lot. And I don't think I would have failed any exams because I didn't, I wasn't failing by a huge margin. And um, so, I mean, that was the real kind of gutting thing when I got that diagnosis because I just thought, oh my gosh, I've been, I've had one hell of a journey and it, it could have been very different. 
But on the positive, I learned a lot about myself. I showed how determined I am. And I don't regret anything. I don't regret doing it at all. And so listeners, Hannah came to me and Dave and said she'd heard of the FI podcast. Could she come on as a guest? Which we were delighted. We're always looking for people to come and be guests and talk to us about things that are relevant to our listeners. And she said, I'm in the process of setting up a website called the Accountancy Hub. And I think that really now makes a lot more sense with what you've just explained about your own experiences. The fact that you now want to try and do something to help support other accountancy students. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about the Accountancy Hub and and why you started it. Yeah, so Accountancy Hub is all about well-being, inclusion, community and careers. Um, Because not only, I mean, there's the whole dyslexic thing, but I was also studying during COVID and it was a really challenging time. We were sitting exams remotely. You know, the awarding bodies were changing how we do exams all the time. We had new exam software. We went from physical books to ebooks. So there was a lot going on um, during 2020-2021. I just felt like there wasn't a space for all trainees to kind of get together and chat with each other. And um, so that's why Accountancy Hub is about community. It's about bringing everyone together to chat to each other across all of the accountancy qualifications. Big focus on inclusion. Obviously, I'm passionate about that anyway, but it's not just about exams it's about careers in general so there's a whole load of coaching and mentoring on there and and there's a job board specifically for part qualified and qualified accountants and not just finance roles but you know business consulting internal order all of the sort of roles that value accountants and and in terms of well-being um, it's more practical solutions. So we've partnered with wellbeing and lifestyle brands and they're offering discounts to our members. So anything from Pilates classes to sleeping apps to food delivery services. So, you know, if you're heading towards some exams and you want some kind of relatively cheap meals, healthy meals to arrive at your door, it's that sort of thing. It's practical stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm launching on Monday and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Really good luck with the launch. You sent me a, a sneaky peek look. So I've actually gone and had a nose around the website and had a, a click through and I was really impressed. I'd picked up the word inclusive was underlined about four times on the, the welcome first page. So it's obviously something that's really, really um, important to you. I wonder if we touch on that for a moment. What 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 do you understand by the world? And the word inclusive and, and why particularly does that one resonate with you? So when I was a people consultant, I specialised in inclusion and diversity. So I've worked with a lot of clients. I also worked in-house in the kind of DNI area. Um and just from my experience of studying for accountancy as well, I found that even though a lot of companies have really good recruitment and hiring practices not necessarily so good at the exam policies and early careers policies and I just saw so many people leave the qualification and leave the finance world and all of those people were sort of more diverse you know whether they were struggling with their mental health or they were completely new to the corporate world or they were parents and studying you know there's so many things happening in people's lives and it's those people that found accountancy a lot more of a struggle 
So I wanted to basically support an inclusive finance industry with this website, make sure it's as inclusive as possible. Brilliant. And hopefully we can share a link to the website or some contact details in the show notes of this episode. So if you're interested in that stuff, go and check it out. Really, really good luck with the launch next week. But you've also got a podcast. You can come on and tell me and Dave what we do wrong. <laughs> but you are the the host and you are the sole host. You haven't got a double act like the, the Ben and Dave show, but you are the sole host of the Human 2 podcast. How did you get that one set up? So the company behind Accountancy Hub is called Human 2 Limited. Um, and I mean, my strap line is because accountants are human too. Um, so I set up the Human 2 podcast and it's all about um, talking to people about how they stay human during challenging times at work, whether that be accountancy or not. Um, so I'm interviewing industry leaders, qualified accountants, trainees, some of the kind of coaches and mentors from the website and just talking about their journeys really. And it's quite nice talking to trainees who haven't had a smooth journey through accountancy and just kind of sharing what helped them and how did they look after their well-being and so yeah we've got eight episodes up brilliant the first eight under your belt <laughs> um you've already got one recorded and out there for 2024 because i listened to that from my kitchen this afternoon we'll also try and get a link to the podcast and potentially the invite for myself and or dave to go on and become a guest 100% you're invited. Practically in the diary. It will be it will be exciting to be on the other side of the, the microphone for a podcast. Do we have to go on together, Ben, do you think? I don't know. Maybe maybe individually we could we could tell the goss on the other one. Yeah, let's do that. I can hear about your journeys because I don't know anything about you too, so I'm excited to hear about that on the podcast. It's a date then, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm certainly up for that. I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I wanted to ask you about what you think the biggest challenges facing accountancy students are. Bearing in mind, a lot of people will be listening to this in their early stage of exams, studying. What, what do you see now, having been through it, but also putting together all of the resources that you're getting together on the Accountancy Hub? What do you think the biggest challenges they're currently facing? Um, I think for trainees, it is, as we've kind of mentioned, that studying alongside full-time work, and I don't think that's going to change. So it's just employers being flexible um, and you making sure you know how to how to balance them both. And I think there is a real skill to that. Um, I think it's really important that the qualifications are super practical for the real world and I mean, I guess that's not a challenge for students, that's more for accountancy bodies. But um, that's something I'm really interested in, making sure they are super practical and that when you come out of those exams, you can use all of your skills straight away. Um, again, there's you know the neurodiversity and mental health side of things that we've discussed, that's always a bit of a challenge. Um, but it's all fixable, there's a solution somewhere. I really like the observation of that working with your employer. Dave, you've got lots of links with employers and we work with some really, really great employers. 
But I think the students have always got the mentality that, oh, I don't want to raise that with my employer. I don't want to talk about it. And I think, again, we've used the word balance earlier on the, the podcast this evening. We'll talk about balance again. Not saying you need to be moaning every day to your employer. That's not the way to deal with it, in my opinion. But I think my experience, and Dave, I'd be interested to hear yours, whenever a student has gone to their employer wanting some additional help, support, 99.9% of the time, the employer's been really open and receptive and thanked them for communicating and talking it through with them. Yes, there will always be the 0.1% that don't care, but then you would argue, is that really the sort of employer you want to be working for and us first intuition working with? Probably not, so we'll leave those guys there. But all of the other ones really do want to try and do stuff that helps their students because they know that's also going to improve their businesses in the the more medium to long term. Dave, what, what's your thoughts on students actually having those conversations with their employers? The first thing I always go back to is that employers spend a lot of time and a lot of money recruiting people. So it's expensive to recruit someone in terms of time. It can be expensive in terms of money to do so. So every employer really wants every employee they recruit to work out and be a real asset for them and to help the business to grow and to improve and to help the business on their journey. So no one that recruits someone thinks, oh, I want to get rid of them straight away. So if there is something that is causing you to maybe not perform as you would hope or maybe not performing at the same level as some of your peers and you believe that there is something that could be done, I don't think there's an employer out there that's going to turn around and say, oh no, that's not good enough, you've got to go. So I think most employers will really want to help you. Now, where the problems lie, if you work for a super, super big company, um, they will have specialist teams that will be looking after staff, staff development, and will be trained to help staff in in any kind of position where they need help to perform to, to the best of their ability. If you work for medium-sized firms, they'll probably recognise where they could get an external consultant, or they could maybe be able that they already know where that they can get help outside of the business that can help you to perform as well as you can in the workplace. Where I think it's more difficult is small businesses where they don't have those skills. So I think sometimes where we work for small businesses, we have to be mindful that if we require extra support, you sometimes almost need to kind of do a bit of research to be able to say, this is the issue and this is what will really help me to be able to fulfill my potential and show them that it's not it's usually it's not going to cost businesses huge amounts of money and it will usually help that employee to flourish but i I appreciate depending on who you work for depends on the route that you would go through and i appreciate hannah you wanted to say something there i think didn't you right just shouted accountancy hub (laughs) (laughs) you want to send your employers my way yes that would be excellent because that's that's the whole point supporting people through exams in any way we possibly can. I'm looking at the clock. One thing that the three of us have got in common, aside from podcasts and accounting, is the BBC series The Traitors. And it's Traitors Night. We're recording this on a Wednesday. I don't know if other listeners are as obsessed as me and Dave, and by the sound of it, Hannah are with Traitors. I think it's great. 
Do you think accountants would make good traitors or faithfuls? I'm going to throw that one over to both of you. Dave, what would be your thought? Do you think as an accountant, you'd be a traitor or a faithful? Personally, I would be an awful, awful traitor. I have got no poker face whatsoever. So I find it really hard to hide my emotion and what I'm thinking. So I would be I would be caught and banished almost instantly. So I don't think there's any way I could be a traitor. So I would say that, yeah, I would have to be a faithful. What about you, Ben? What do you think? I quite like the idea of being a traitor. It's probably not the best skill set to put on a CV or a job application. I can be deceptive, deceitful. I can hide stuff and cover stuff up. But I do quite like the thought of it. Hannah, what about you? I'm the same as David. I just don't think I could do it. I think I'd crumble in the first hour. Um, yeah, I just couldn't do the acting for so many days. Um, I'd have to be a faithful, but accountants in general, mm, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. It depends whether you're a good or bad accountant. <laughs> I, um, I, I always look when they put up their occupations or their titles because we've had actors, we've had people that say they are a few generic consultants have, have cropped up i haven't seen anyone unless i've missed anyone in either the first series or this series that is an accountant do you recall any accountants in the traitors no i don't there we go there, there's an aspiration for someone listening to this maybe you can apply for the next series because i'm sure they'll be back for series three and become the, the first accountant to feature in the the traitors on telly maybe all the accountants are too concerned about breaching the ethical code ben and you know deliberately misleading the public um so you never know maybe it's just purely their ethics that are stopping them from competing yeah someone said traitors lack integrity in the comments yeah the the, the, the ethics is brought into question isn't it and i think the round table we could bring that into elements of how to deal with a boardroom and a meeting because it looks like sometimes it gets quite divisive and quite hot-headed um, there we go, Dave. We Maybe we've talked ourselves into an episode how we could bring traitors into skills you need in the world of accounting, seeing business. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to say we'll wrap up there. Hannah, thank you so, so much for coming on. You've been a fabulous guest. We'll put as many links as we can do in the show notes. If you come back as a guest again, we can call you a friend of the podcast. We've got some guests that have been back more than once. So you can be invited back as a friend of the podcast. Brilliant. Honestly, I've loved it. Thank you so much for having me on. And I hope um, everyone signs up to Accountancy Hub. Thanks for giving me a bit of promo. Really good luck with the launch next week. Listeners, thank you as always for taking the time to download to listen i hope you've enjoyed this episode if you've liked this episode and it's the first one you've listened to go back and listen to some of the previous ones or dare i say all of the previous ones we've got some great content out there please continue to like to subscribe share the link with your family with your friends with your colleagues this episode particularly relevant for anyone thinking of coming into the world of accountancy so share it with people that you've had conversations with or you're thinking they're coming up to the end of their school their college their uni courses and would like to know a bit more about the the world of accountancy study thank you all very much <laughs>